If adventure has a name, it must be... He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe! Game over, man! Game over! Your move, creep. What are you looking at, butthead? I sent him into the future! What happened? Yes, I did it. I can't believe I did like this. Alright. Who wants something? You the top or you hurt? TV ate my dinner. This is episode seven. My name is Sean, and I am sitting here with Greg and Brooks. Hi. Hey. We're going to talk about movies from the 1980s and television shows and whatever. We're going to talk about all things 80s, except for the music, because we don't have enough time to dedicate to that. Yeah, that, that's a mini-series. That's not even a whole itself. other episode. That'd be a whole other show besides ours. Yeah. I, was like, well, I don't really even think we're qualified to do that show. Because all I listened to back in the 80s were, were movie soundtracks anyway. Well, that's all they made in the 80s as far as music. Like, everything was a soundtrack. So not true. So not true. But I'm the music guy in the group. So I, I kind of oh, get I shunted out on most of these episodes because I don't know TV or movies. But if we ever do a, a music episode. at coolness all of a sudden this far into the show. I got the soundtrack to Dragnet. That's how... Curious, I was about that. Awesome. What was that? That was the one that he did. That Tom Hanks and and Dan Aykroyd did. Yeah, right yeah. Together. City of Crime, man. City, city of Crime. crime. <laughs> it's a city of crime. <laughs> that was awesome. That was '80s music, Brooks. You being the music guy, you should be fully versed in City of Crime. I've decided I want to get the Bloodsport soundtrack. That was on the other night, and the end, the song at the very end of that. If it's not on the soundtrack, I don't want it. But that song is awesome. It's the perfect 80s. It's like, we're going to rise to the top. We're going <laughs> to defeat our enemies. You know, just like That's perfect. The, the Karate Kid thing. Like, you're the best around. Yeah. Nothing's going to keep you down. It's Yeah, it's completely <laughs> the, the stuff South Park guys are always making fun of. The 80s sold us on this idea that if you just played a really cheesy like rock anthem, you could learn how to do anything. And it has to be motivational. You know, at Dragon Con a couple of weeks ago, we missed a perfect opportunity to meet the master of the movie anthem, you know, Frank Stallone. Frank Stallone. We did miss Frank Stallone. That's, you know, Frank Stallone did, peace in my life, remember the call. That was this, like, really cheesy song at the end of the Rambo, Rambo Part 2. <laughs> Rambo had some awesome. good ones, too, man. Rambo was awesome. I don't even know who did the version of He's Not, He Ain't Heavy, He's oh, My it, Brother. That was, what's his name? Uh, Bill Medley. From the the Righteous Brothers. <laughs> See, that's awesome. <laughs> he ain't heavy. But yeah, we did miss out on Frank Stallone while we were at Dragon Con. I guess quote unquote promoting our show. I guess we should we should uh, briefly do our. We were at Dragon Con, which was uh, over Labor Day, and uh, we had fun. Hopefully, we we put out a lot of postcards with the show on it. So if any of you guys picked that up and found us that way, uh, we're extremely grateful. Hopefully you found us through Dragon Con. Yeah, we, that was. Not the, our point in going there, but it certainly was something we wanted to do, was pick up new listeners. And uh, we're super excited to have you if you're a new listener, and we hope you stick around. Absolutely. And Greg and I got a chance to see uh, Buck Rogers and Wilma Deering 
in a panel. Oh, okay. I saw them, but not in a panel. Oh, yeah. I almost ran over Buck by accident, but it's crowded. So, you know. Well, good thing cool. you didn't because he'd have done one of those karate chops on you that he's always doing he in the show. He could have done a judo move on me or something and shown me his junk through a satin pants. <laughs> Got to be careful of that in Buck Rogers when they have him strung up from the ceiling <laughs> and the jumpsuit rides up. Ooh. Maybe she'd have gone. Horrifying. He said. Tweaky, quick, beady, beady, and then some kind of blast would have hit you from behind. <laughs> yeah. Did you see Hawk? Beady, beady, was beady, Hawk beady. like floating around behind him, looking, no, looking they, weird with his his bird head? Yeah, they weren't big on Hawk. The Searcher episodes took quite a hit in the Buck, Buck, Buck Rogers panel. But yeah, Aaron Gray was there with Gil Gerard, who spent a, a lot of time talking about his uh, gastric bypass. <laughs> And and looks really looks really good for him. I'm sorry, I missed that. But uh, I was I was excited to see him. I gotta say that was the highlight of 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 the convention for me. I'm not like a convention guy anymore because I never understand what people are supposed to be. But when they do Buck Rogers, I get it. That's the old school nerd in me. I'm like, oh yeah, I love Buck Rogers. There's like a, a stadium full of people waiting for a Harry Potter panel. I'm like, not me, man. I'm walking right in so I can talk to Buck Rogers and Wilma Deering. I have a Dragon Con rule that serves me well, which is if there's a line really long, I don't do it. No matter what. Like one year, everybody from the Serenity movie was there in a panel. Like Nathan Fillion and Adam Baldwin, like all the big people were there. And the line was around the block. And I'm like, mm, yeah. <laughs> and I would have liked to have seen that, but I got to draw a line somewhere, you know? Buck Rogers, you walk right in. And I'd rather, like, watching Buck Rogers open my eyes, I, like, realized I had a catharsis watching, like, Gil Gerard and, and Aaron Gray and Felix Silla, who was, like, the, the guy who w- was in the Tweaky suit. He didn't do the voice. Mel Blanc did the voice of Tweaky. Oh, really? But I didn't know he's, that. Oh, yeah. Like, you, if you watch the episodes, you'll know it because he sounds like, like, he, Buck, he sounds like Bugs Bunny or he kind of sounds like yeah. Yosemite's hand when he talks. Yeah. What's up, Doc? Doesn't he say yeah. something like that? Does he say what's beedy, up, beedy, beedy, beedy. He says something like that. He, he says, hey, Buck, beady, 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 beady. What All a great right. line to have created. I wish I created some kind of icon that just went around saying nonsense. But I realize that's my kind of science fiction. You know, we were talking about this the other day about how science fiction is too gritty. Yeah. And I, I realize Buck that Rogers, in its man. campy cheesiness, Buck Rogers exemplifies everything I love about science fiction. And, you know, it was that. a good show, though, I think. It's highly, for, it, for what it, it is was. highly entertaining. The first season was really good. I'll tell you another thing I picked up at Dragon Con that, uh, that I'm, I'm pretty sure was an official DVD release, and as far as I can tell. It had a an illustrated cover and stickers on the CDs, so I think this is real. But uh, Battlestar Galactica 1980, <laughs> which is what I love about this, is as cheesy as Battlestar Galactica was in moments, they still like they're not em- they're not embarrassed by it, even though it, it pretty much was one of the classic like 79 to 1980 sort of sci-fi show, but. Galactic 1980, they sort of just pretended it never happened. So it's never gotten like a DVD set or anything. I mean, until now, where I bought it. I, of course, there's one now. I bought it. Well, it's completely legal. Someone was selling it. They wouldn't sell it if it wasn't legal. But like tables and tables of these things, of course, I'm sure. Had to be on the up and up. And I also got Space Giants, the DVD, so that's pretty cool. If you get, if you know what that is, I don't. Oh yeah, Space Giants is good. That's seventies, so right. I don't know. Probably early eighties. I guess I'd say. when I was a little kid, Space Giants used to play in the afternoons on TBS. 
And that's how I saw it. And so if you meet people that are just a little younger than us, they have no idea what Space Giants is. People of our generation, the pre-cable generation, you remember that coming on. I vaguely remember when you got it. Home I'm, from school. I'm on the cusp, I guess, of that generational gap because a lot of the stuff you guys talk about, I don't remember. You don't remember Goldar and Gam? I'm, and I'm all of one year younger than you. That's what's sad. Apparently that year is a, a pivotal year. Well, Space Giants was every little boy's dream because it's like about this little kid that... Is that the one where the, the robots change into rockets? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then I do, I do remember Silver that. Gam. I just, I, I get it mixed up with all those other Japanese shows. Oh, it's awesome though. Especially, I don't know what the original dialogue was like, but the English dub dialogue is, is amazing in, in its badness. It's It's so awesome. And it's it's so weird because as I'm watching it, sometimes they just didn't bother to overdub it. Sometimes whole episodes are just still in Japanese. Yeah, like, I guess I guess like Space Giants archives aren't completely comprehensive. Well, there might be episodes that never aired in the states. Well, it could be, but it's weird because it's a serial, so it's even weirder if you think they just skipped an episode because they basically go like episode for episode in the in I don't the show. Remember as a kid, I don't know how a, we weren't completely lost as kids. <laughs> I just remember. Well, it's all stupid because it's all about Rodak is sending different like monsters to do awful things to the Earth, and Goldar has to fight Man, them. That's like every episode. That's Voltron too. That's every Japanese project from that that period, isn't it? I think Space Giants is like the the progenitor of all that kind of stuff. The 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 Transformers, Voltron, all of that, like Power Rangers, all that like came from Space Giants, I think. Or came from TV shows like Space Giants. I mean, probably... Uh... Well, yeah, Space Giants wasn't the only show like that. You got Spectre Man and, and Ultraman and all that kind of stuff. They were all the same genre. And for some reason, I never watched Ultraman and all that. Space Giants is the one that stands out to me. I think it's because it used to come on at like 3 o'clock. And even if I got home that early from school, which I usually didn't, I was fixated with the soap opera Santa Barbara. <laughs> I used to watch that. <laughs> we learn, we learn more and more about Sean every week. Yeah, really. We're peeling the layers every week. I'm not scared. I'm not the resident music. This is guy. what happened. So I, when I was Jeez. a kid, I was obsessed with Star Blazers. I thought that show was the coolest of all shows. That wasn't a bad I loved show. The ship. Yeah. Oh. I loved everything. You know, you're familiar with Star Blazers, right? Yeah. Oh, I remember I Star watched Blazers. It in college, I got a like VHS of it and watched it, and it I couldn't stand five minutes of it. It was so bad, and this is why <laughs> I fear I'm, I don't want to watch anything I loved as a kid because because I'm just sure you know ninety percent of it is awful. I think we remember things a lot better than they are, and you got to remember you're like six years old watching this, so of course your standards are pretty low. You watch it as a 19-year-old, and not so much. And, you know, but when I watch... Oh, well, I can say that Space Giants holds yeah. up, man. I was cracking up. And when I watch up. Buck Rogers now, it holds up. I, I can watch that now. So so it's not everything. Oh, no doubt. There's, there are some things that I'm very happy to have around, and I don't feel like... I'm actually glad that they're still kind of goofy and all that. I think I'm going to talk about this next week, because I think next week we'll do more on, on remakes and stuff. But Yeah, let's do that next week, because we got to get onto our topic. We're... 80s. It's like it's like we're just we're going to be in our 80s by the time we get there. <laughs> well, before we start with the 80s, Greg, you had a you had a movie from the vault. Movies from the vault. Well, my movie from the vault is Summer Rental. This movie was from the late 80s. It had John Candy in it. 
Uh, he played an air traffic controller that was a little burned out, so he takes his family down to the Florida coast and rents a house. I'm laughing already. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, the house they rented was a dump and owned <laughs> by the evil rich guy in town who was played by Richard Crenna, uh, who's a staple of 80s movies. Of course. Uh, That's um, how you know it's an 80s movie. From Rambo. Awesome. What you call hell, he calls home. Anyway, it turns out Richard Crenna is a big aficionado of sailing. Do they have a race? Yes, they have. A, they end up having oh a race. My God. Yes, exactly. I was gonna. I was gonna bring that up. Eighties movies lie to us in several strong respects, and Summer Rental is a good example of that because there are two things that it does that show up more than once in the eighties that are completely untrue. And first is that you will meet a woman who's had breast implants that will want you to try them out yeah. <laughs> for no reason. That's never happened to me, and I've met several women that I'm sure have had them. And they didn't care at all if, if I saw if they felt real or not. And the other thing is that all disputes can be settled with a boat race. <laughs> or a ski race. Or whatever, a competition. Like yeah. there was, that, there that were regattas. Theme. There are two separate movies. Like One Crazy Summer did the exact same thing where they had to go after them with a regatta. And Better Off Dead, too, a skiing competition. Yeah, a skiing competition. That. And there are several ski. There's a whole ski genre. <laughs> That's South Park tackled yeah. that. that whole. Hey, Stan Darsh. And then, you know, if if you can't solve the problem with a race of some kind in an 80s movie, you can always have a benefit concert where you do some kind of talent show and, and somehow raise just enough money yeah, exactly. to save the summer camp. Or or, or, the, or save the frat house. Yeah, the, exactly. The frat house. And you have to raise $10,000 in a night. In my whole life of trying to do creative pursuits, I haven't raised $10,000 cumulatively in my whole life from my creative things. I just don't buy that idea that we're going to throw well, a you party. Haven't done a, you haven't done a benefit concert. Apparently. Well, I have done a benefit. I, mean, I have done benefits, and I haven't raised that much money even for other people. you got to get those Revenge of the Nerds guys with their keyboards. Yeah, you got to get stuff. those guys That's to right. dress up like spacemen and play fancy who violin pay stuff. pay a ton of money to see that? What sorority girl wouldn't yeah, go to exactly. that party? Yeah, really. Exactly. I, when I wear a Darth Vader mask, I don't just hook up with like the head cheerleader. <laughs> God, those movies all lied to us completely. <laughs> Constantly. It was all, I mean, that's the opposite. Right now, young America, if you're one of those high school nerds, don't watch that kind of crap and believe it. You got to either, you're going to have to start doing sports right now, <laughs> or you're going to have to be so good at the nerd stuff that you become a billionaire. But just being good at video games is not going to cut it. That's probably one of the great lies of the 80s, that you can build a girl with a computer. Oh, yeah, good, because girls out there, yeah, you'd be out if we could. And if you go to space camp, they're actually going to put you in the space shuttle. Exactly. And they don't have robots. Johnny All Five's not alive? All completely lie. You can't just play like some pumped up anthematic music and just learn how to do something. Or, you know, rebuild a, an entire frat house in, in 30 seconds with just <laughs> yeah. with a montage. Exactly. You can't just do like three pull-ups and then you're ready to fight like eight karate guys in a tournament. Well, going back to Summer Rental, they did that too with a montage. They they, they built a uh, they built a sailboat out of an old fish restaurant, <laughs> which is which is awesome. <laughs> well, what, my favorite part is how they win is like uh, Candy like strips his he puts his shorts up 
for a little extra a like sail. to catch a little extra wind he actually he actually rigs up his shorts into the sails awesome <laughs> because they're so big because oh, he's fat that's a great movie man it's i gotta fun. go buy that well that's a good one that's a good one <laughs> yeah. i've actually not seen that one either i'm i, I am remiss so geez where were you man i don't know i guess i was playing sports actually that's a lie i've never played a sport in my yeah life. exactly <laughs> By sports, do you mean dolls? <laughs> Is enough, dolls enough with the dolls. <laughs> One time. <laughs> As a grown-up, I'm sure in the 80s, you probably would play dress-up with your dolls all the time. That had to come from somewhere. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord, that's sad. Hmm. I'm sorry, world. Well, anyway, Summer Rental, starring John Candy. Um, also had Lara, John Larroquette in it. Uh, if you're at the local video store and you see it, check it out because it's a lot of fun. I know because kids, you're getting an awful bad habit of not watching movies that that are like 10 years old or more, and you're missing all the great 80s movies. And speaking of which, since you know we we suddenly stumbled on topic, I guess uh, I guess we'll talk about what we feel are the greatest films and and TV shows of the 80s. And I have a I have a perfect ten list. Radical. Tubular, man. <laughs> Gnarly. <laughs> Reganomics. Oh, anyway. I miss it. I miss it so much in my heart. The 80s? Oh, yeah. I wish I could go back now. I do, too. The 21st century is so depressing. These days, every movie you go to is so depressing. Everybody is so cynical. We're all so it's, cool it's, it's now. It's not just that. Things I'm so were... tired. Cynical is the word because we're all so, so preoccupied with trying to be cool. We make fun of the 80s because they were so they were so poppy and so like every episode, every movie did have like a montage and all that. But they were all about, you know, the little guy making good. There was I think a lot we can of, do with a little bit no, of that. I wouldn't say cynicism, but there was a lot. There wasn't. It wasn't an optimistic mystic decade by any means especially music and stuff because there was always this threat of nuclear war and you you hear it all over the place but what i observed back then and i observe it now is like when the threat seems more imminent the media at the time becomes more sort of jubilant i like agree the music was about dark things but it wasn't dark music Movies are about dark things, but they weren't dark movies. It was like we were trying to fight that idea of, of an impending apocalypse by being positive. And then in the 90s, when things were going swimmingly, every, things were going everything fine, got everyone all dark. was complaining all the time. Yeah. The nuclear war thing did play a part in movies. There were several movies like, like Road oh, Warrior. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Road Warrior. <laughs> Perfect example. I was just talking about that the other day with, with a couple of my buddies. It's like, why am I wearing a tire? <laughs> I mean, I know we're poor and everything, but this doesn't even... Why, why do I, I have, wear a tire? Why do I have five scarves on my arm? <laughs> yeah. What are these for? This doesn't even make sense. This isn't even serving a purpose. Do we all have to have mohawks? Why do I, I have mean, lawn chairs have tied have nice to the roof things. of my car? <laughs> I mean, did we have to go completely crazy? That doesn't make sense, man. One day we'll do an episode all about post-apocalyptic fashion. And, and because as I well, love it. we totally could because they're, they're the funniest. Oh, well, okay. Anyway, 80s, perfect 10. But this is, this is movies that managed to be the best, in my opinion, of whatever they were trying to be. In the 80s especially, I think there were a lot of movies that kind of set the standard for other movies of that kind. So if there are probably better movies that came out in the 80s in your opinion, but whatever. So starting with 1980, and we could do a show about this. That's why I'm going to go ahead and get it out of the way now. The Empire Strikes Back. Crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've never I'm seen just, that one. I'm, I'm not familiar with that film. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad you guys asked. It insists upon itself. <laughs> it <insists> upon it. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is a rare. Didn't care for it. Didn't care for it. 
<laughs> that it is the greatest sequel of all time, which is no small feat considering it, that it followed the greatest film of all time. Not only that, but it managed to be a great movie on its own while expanding on and experimenting with not just the Star Wars mythology, but exactly how daring you can be with a blockbuster sequel. In a time where the trilogy was by no means the norm in mainstream films, finishing with such an open-ended cliffhanger was an act of cinematic heroism. And that courage paid off. Empire topped its predecessor, elevating Star Wars to heights it would never reach with any of the successive films and setting the standard for science fiction and sequels in general. Which I don't mean science fiction, because Star Wars really isn't science fiction. We, we kind of discussed this before, but I mean, when you think of the sort of science fiction event film, big science fiction like sci-fi special effects blockbusters, Empire Strikes Back is it. Absolutely. Especially, you know, Star Wars first and then Empire. And it brought Yoda into the, the films, man. And it has a Muppet. Yeah, this movie is all Sean. Because <laughs> on top of everything else, they bring in a Muppet. A Muppet like, who, awesome. Yeah, but what a performance, though, because that Muppet is more human than, than most of the characters in, in typical sci-fi kind of movies. You know, that, that Muppet. It's, it's funny you say that because they actually did. They tried to get Frank Oz who was the puppeteer. They tried to get him a nomination for Best Supporting Actor for that movie, and and no one would go for it because they didn't consider puppeteering a performance kind of What a shame. It is a shame because the puppeteers are all getting screwed now. Everything's CGI. Frank Oz still does the voice of Yoda, but there's no puppet anymore. The biggest shame is that these days they don't use puppets. And I think Yoda lost something in those last three films because he was CG. Yeah, he did. He was sure. so good in that in Empire. Yeah, it's fun. He gets to hop around, but as far as emotion, yeah, absolutely. That puppet, man, that puppet just acts, <laughs> acts its little heart out. <laughs> That's what makes Empire awesome because at the time they're making Empire, they're like, guys, is this stupid? Like they have no no frame of reference to think that that was gonna work because yeah, it never done like, been done just, before. We're like going that, with the puppet. A serious character being a puppet, like an actual being serious puppet, character acting against actual live action actors. How how did you know? But that so much of Empire, and this is why I think like to me Empire stands out above Star Wars cinematically because I think they experimented so much with it. They had a working formula already, but they they tried to expand on an already you know, built-in mechanism of success with Star Wars, and, and it worked. And they never did that again in the Star Wars series. There's not another Star Wars movie beyond the first one besides Empire that really tried to bring anything to the, to the mythology. So there was a lot of risk involved in doing Empire Strikes Back, and I think that they earned a lot of reward in doing it that way. One day down the line, we, we'll do a Star Wars episode because we're all Star Wars buffs, and, and we've been putting it off because, you know, we don't want to... We don't want to go that route. We're, uh, we're that, that, I am afraid to go there because that'll be a nine-hour episode. We need, probably need to move on because uh, we really could talk about this. We do because we were only on the first movie. All right, move on. But Well, I don't think we'll have as much to talk about on some of the others. 1981 is a movie that I really enjoy a lot that a lot of people of our generation, I think, also respect, which is Excalibur. Garbage. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm going to do that for every movie. <laughs> Crap. Yeah, this is going to be an easy Filth. episode for you guys. Sewage. We're, we're probably talking about one of the first films I'd ever seen with very strong adult themes in it. And also, sure, yeah, it ain't Camelot. That's another one of those movies that upon second viewing 20 years later doesn't hold up as well. Uh, the one thing that I do enjoy about watching Excalibur again is, um, is some of the cast that was in that movie. 
Uh, it, I mean, Liam Neeson was in the film. Patrick Stewart. Yeah, Patrick Stewart is in the film. Man, how old is Patrick yeah, Stewart? Right. Liam Neeson goes way back, man. How old is Liam back, Neeson? He's, a, he's in Crawl. Wow. All right. Crawl's right. not on this list, by the way. <laughs> Don't anybody worry. <laughs> but Liam Neeson was in Crawl. I reject this list. But but Excalibur, to me, was also my introduction into pure fantasy. Well, especially because it doesn't just, it does magic and it does like sword and sorcery and all that kind of stuff. Like, And you don't see that. There's been so many movies that have tried to make the King Arthur story work on the big screen. And only Excalibur has come close. Because there have been a lot of... It literally, like King Arthur movies are right up there with movies that have members of the Friends cast in them. They usually suck horribly. Like this movie is the one, and still now, like think about it. Like the King Arthur movie, the oh, first night. Yeah. Can you yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah. That's horrible. It was terrible. And so many other movies. There's like a King Arthur movie, and I almost went to see it just so I could mention it on the show, but I couldn't bring myself. And it's called The Last Legion. That's, is that the one with uh, got the dude from uh, Love Actually in it? But this is this movie came out this summer, The Last Legion, and also purported to be a historical, a semi-historical accounting of the King Arthur story. And you can always ditch those because when they say that, it just means that they're not going to have magic in it. It just means this isn't a fantasy. It's going to be. It's not going to be any more believable than a movie that has magic and wizards in it. It's just not going to have that. How can you not have Merlin in the story? How does that make sense? The, yeah, the mythology is rich with magic. And King Arthur is one of these things that's become so cliche that a lot of people have tried to do different takes on it, and it just gets worse, worse, and worse. Excalibur tried to do from start to finish the mythology as presented in all the many stories, and tried to do it in a way that had a constant, you know, continuity. And it's probably the most accurate to those stories of any movie you'll ever see. And they should just stop making them. The only other movie that comes close is Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and they're not trying to be serious. <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be funny. That's the only good, other good King Arthur movie. The runner-up for that year is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hmm. And the only reason I say that, that it isn't a perfect 10 is because it has a typical Hollywood special effects finale. I really don't like the ending of yeah. Raiders. But yeah, it, that is. It was a letdown. It, yeah, it's dumb. But the rest of it is awesome. Like Lawrence Kasdan wrote the script, and, and Indiana Jones is, is really dark, and he's almost scary, and he's totally film noir in that movie. And that's because of the way he's written. And then the rest, like the rest of the movies, yeah. make him make <laughs> the him second kind movie. Of he's got a kid hanging out with him all of a sudden. And then the third movie is with his dad. It's like, good lord. Well, uh, the third movie was just camp, but the but the second movie actually he was a little bit more of a seedy character out for out At for least his what he called fortune. Seedier. Yeah. But then they put the kid there to to lighten him up, and that's what like. That's what I'm worried about in the fourth movie. It's like, why can't Indy ever just be Indy? Like, we're going to put Indy in this fourth movie, and guess who's going to be hanging around with him, cracking wise? LaBeouf. LaBeouf! Who's writing this one? Have we? Have, have they ever settled oh, on that? Who even knows? Well, I think about ten different people. They've, they've I, been working on a script for, I mean, really ten years. To me, that's the thing that makes me nervous yeah. about it more than LaBeouf yeah. or anything like that. Just the fact that they've had such a hard time putting together a script that, you uh, that, that doesn't bode well. The only thing that's appealing to it, in my mind right now, is Karen Allen's coming back. Well, because she's going to end up being LaBeouf's mom. That's going to... Oh, oh, God. You know, and there were like, there's these sad days 
some well they were trying to come up with an idea where they're like why don't we bring in Tom Selleck as his brother like why don't you let Indy be Indy how can you be dark when you're hanging out with your dad I know I find it incredibly hard to shoot people when my dad is looking over my shoulder but moving on we could do another episode we could do an episode about that and we should 1982 brings us to good Harrison Ford which is Blade Runner Mm. replicants are like any other machine they're either a benefit or a hazard. And there, there's no taking this movie away. It's so awesome they never did a sequel to this. It's like it's it's almost hard to even talk about how great this movie is because everyone thinks so. Now, it doesn't have a lot to do with the Philip K. Dick novel that it's based on, which is a lot more absurd. But it, it, it set a standard and a tone for science fiction films that is still present in films today. Like people are still trying to emulate it. It's, uh, it's not even a standard that people are managing to accomplish. People are still trying to do what Ridley Scott did in in this movie. He did the same thing with this that he did with Alien. He took sci-fi and he used it as a backdrop for a sophisticated storytelling instead of a story device by itself. I just recently finished a, a reading a book about Blade Runner called Future Noir. Uh, and I highly suggest anyone interested in filmmaking read that book because it's really amazing how that particular film came about. Uh, in the book, they go through all the different incarnations from the script. And when they finally went into shooting, Ridley Scott really pushed the budget way beyond its limits. And, and it really, from a technical standpoint, the, the movie was a, was a disaster. Um, I mean, it was really out of control. Uh, totally out of control apocalypse now kind of thing which is also turned out to be a classic yeah. there's something to be said by I, I'm not a big fan of of, of overspending on movies because I think like they make a movie like Superman and then they spend 300 million dollars and they're like it didn't really make the kind of movie we wanted to make it's like well what were you shooting for you had to make like a billion dollars to break even but on these movies, if you're doing it artistically, I think there's something to be said for, for sticking it out. Well, I think it goes to demonstrate Ridley Scott's genius, his uh, his attention to detail, especially with the sets. The sets for this movie were fantastic. Uh, they were designed by Sid Mead, but visually it's a stunning movie. Well, they created a world that's something that you want to see in movies and something I think CGI has sort of robbed us of because CGI – you know they create these elaborate backdrops in the computer but you never feel like it's real and in blade runner it feels real and it was pretty amazing that people of this i think of this modern generation take for granted because they're so used to cgi they don't understand it's like cgi versus traditional special effects are are a particular rant of mine uh we could go on forever about that because I feel that CGI oh, is no. way well, I just, overused. Yeah, I just came out pro puppet, man. CGI killed the puppets and the midgets, and I'm mad for both of them. And the model spaceships, which I really miss. Well, if you build a model and you digitize it so you can animate it in the computer, that's fine. Like Jurassic Park, they still had Phil Tippett making model dinosaurs. And that's why they look so real, even though they're computer animated. But then later on, like you see in some of the Star Wars films, they're like, well, let's just create it all in the computer. And it looks stupid. It looks cartoony. It looks like a drawing. You got to have – it's got to be based on something real. I miss that. I miss everything real. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Okay, well, moving on. Yeah, the, the runner-up for that is Conan the Barbarian, and I think yeah. we've covered Conan a lot. The ultimate sword and sorcery movie, maybe even the ultimate Arnold movie. To crush your enemies, see them driven before you. 
And they had a lamentation of the women. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to move straight on to 1983, which for me is DC Cab. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Can't help it. I apologize. You got a choice, Jack. You the talk. Oh, you hurt. Yeah, I've actually, I've only seen bits and pieces of it. So yeah, I I've, I've not seen it either, man. Oh, you're missing out. Mr. T, Max Gale, Adam Baldwin, Bill Maher, Paul Rodriguez, Marshall Warfield, the freaking Barbarian Brothers are in this movie, man. <laughs> this is the ultimate 80s movie. It's got a special appearance by Irene Cara and a song on the soundtrack. And strangely enough, this is one of the, the very original Joel Schumacher films. Back before, you know, he got weird and started put, like making... I say, before he got weird, he just movies. made DC Cap. <laughs> Back when he was normal. Hey, well, <laughs> if you got to define a guy's career, think of it in those terms. But this guy was all 80s, you know. He did The Lost Boys. And he did Flatliners, which was that I will 80s, check out but... DC Cab. I've heard you talk about it enough now that, that you've got me you've got me intrigued. <laughs> it better live up to Man, it. I'm talking, I'm talking it up. It's the Ultimate 80s movie. <laughs> It's too bad Wilson's not here to defend me. He shares my love of the DC cab. Here's yeah. where you, here's where you're gonna get all mad at me. The runner-up for the same year is Evil Dead. See, see, I see. You may take issue with this, but I haven't seen I DC still, Cab, so I can't. Evil Dead I can't do that. Back seat. But if once I see yeah. DC Cab, you you may hear from me about this. Yeah, we'll return to this concept. But you can't compare and contrast. Yeah, you both are gonna have to watch that and get back to. Because I'm going to win this one by default because I've seen both films. But on a on a, on a a plane, I think we can all agree with, 1984 brought us Ghostbusters. Yeah. I think we better split up. Good idea. Yeah, we can do more damage that way. Now, to me, Ghostbusters is one of the great, perfect movies. Not only did it do something new for the time, but it also incorporated the talents of some of the funniest people of the time. No one has ever come close to topping Ghostbusters. Not even its creators. It created a genre blurring the line between action and comedy by proving that you could use action sci-fi conventions and special effects and set pieces, like elaborate set pieces, in a comedy to create a blockbuster, introducing a generation to the world of parapsychology while they were at it. That is a great movie. In fact, I think Ghostbusters may be like, maybe not the funniest movie, but possibly the most perfect comedy now, i only have only ever really had one problem with ghostbusters and this is just you know this is just my personal thing but i i don't like i don't like uh what's her name sigourney weaver i don't think sigourney weaver is pretty and i never have and i don't really understand i'm not trying to be mean about it you know but i don't understand in the movie she's got multiple suitors who are fighting over her She's got like three dudes. Yeah, but look at those suitors. It's Bill Murray and uh Yeah, but and then Rick there's Moranis. that guy that plays violin or whatever, and there's some fancy guy too. That guy was kinda of hoity toy looking. I bet she was awesome looking for a classical cellist. <laughs> See now you're insulting classical cellists. I like cellists. I just like the way they work. I'm just saying that that that's to me if they had gotten a more classically beautiful Hollywood because I mean anyone could have played that role. There was no reason she for was her very to... big at that time though. That's the thing. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree that I didn't like necessarily like her playing that character because you know we've seen her in Aliens before or, or Aliens that not come out yet. And yeah, I buy her as a as a tough girl, but I, think, I just don't buy I her as a pretty girl. I think she was supposed to be a foil though because she was a dramatic actress and they put her in with all these funny men. I think her purpose was to 
to be sort of a contrast to them because they're so goofy. Well, that, She's the real yeah, world. But, you know, then again, that still could have been done by a number of dramatic. It could have been a prettier were, girl. Is all probably I'm prettier. <laughs> I don't mind her being serious, but you know, she doesn't have to look like a gorilla. <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> See, I didn't say well, that. Did she make that monkey move? Yeah. <laughs> Gorillas in the she mist. She have to look like Diane Fossey. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Brooks's official quote for this episode is that Sigourney Weaver has a monkey face. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. <laughs> That's what I understood you to say. That's my only real problem with the movie. That's all I'm saying. 1985 brought us another classic, Back to the Future. Oh, yes. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour... You're going to see some serious sh- Back to the Inventive, future. funny, delightfully original. This goofy take on time travel shot Michael J. Fox into stardom. Carved a permanent cultural niche for the DeLorean <laughs> while they were doing it. He was already a star. He was a TV star, well, but he, he was really... a star on TV. Here's the thing that's a funny story, 1985-wise. And this is not a runner-up. I'm not mentioning it for that. But in, the, in 1985, Michael J. Fox made a movie before Back to the Future, which was Teen Wolf. Yeah, which was awful. <laughs> it is awful. But it was a hit shelved. because of yeah, Back to the exactly. Future. Exactly. Because when Back to the Future came out, it was so huge that they released Teen Wolf right after it. And Teen Wolf, because Michael J. Fox was so big at the time, it became a hit also. The, both of those movies were like of the top ten movies of that year. So that was really huge. That's Michael J. Fox's coming out. Before that, he was just on Family Ties. He'd been on a couple of smaller movies. Yeah, but I mean, he roles, was a star of Family Ties, and Family Ties yeah, was a huge show, one of the biggest the shows of the a decade. TV star and a movie star, especially back then. You oh, see no. now, like more, it's it's more common now for people to go back and forth between TV and movies. But back then, you were a TV person or you were a movie person, or you moved from one to the other after a while. But he was still doing Family Ties when he did Back to the Future, and that that wasn't that common back then. So this movie really propelled him into the stratosphere. It was a good movie, though. That's that's the essence. I think everyone can agree on that. It was. It was a good movie. It was a good performance. There's one part that me and and uh, me and Andrew, the singer for Bell's Wake, plugged the band. Oh Lord. <laughs> anyway, Bell'swake.com. There's a scene in it that we have all, both we both joke about that we have always had a problem with. It, one dumb thing at the very end when he's doing the Chuck Berry bit. You know, he's playing the guitar. And then this guy picks up the phone and is like, Hi, Chuck, this is your cousin, Marvin Barry. Like, if you called your cousin, would you would you say your full name? Especially yeah. if that dude has your name, too. That's like, not the I'm only Brooks dumb Robinson. part, though. The hey. fact that he's playing Johnny Be Good and he's clearly not even singing it. Oh, I know. It's, like, that, that's... I think if he just said Chuck, it would have been obvious enough because they're playing a Chuck Berry song. You know what I mean? They're like, Chuck, check this out. I think that would have been enough. I think that was probably... That was probably a little too tongue-in-cheek to it to suggest that Marty inadvertently invented rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Because all time travel stories do that, and it. it's always lame. Like, I used to love Quantum Leap, which I still think is a great show, but they did that all the time. It was like it was like a running gag on the thing where they would just have him somehow magically invent something in the time that he was visiting or run into some person. Like he invented the moonwalk and he met Michael Jackson, you know, whatever, yeah. like little stuff like that. I, I get the cuteness of that in time travel movies, but it always does take away. But I would much rather have them say that he created rock and roll than have them say that he's actually singing that song. I know that which is was just the worst not happening. It's not happening for me era. at all. Well, I mean, it doesn't sound even a little like him. Even at the beginning of the movie where they're playing in a band, they kind of suck. 
Like he's not playing that. Song. Well, it's it's not meant well, to be cares? serious. It's a yeah. fun movie. The movie. I wish they'd make more movies like Back to the Future because it sort of reminds me of the Buck Rogers thing, where it's just they're just they're having fun. The good old fashioned science fiction, you know. It's not all gritty and cynical and 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 annoying. Back to the Future is actually my midpoint in movie history. Uh, there there are movies that occur pre Back to the Future or post Back to the Future. So like Ghostbusters is pre Back to the Future. Aliens is post Back to the Future. I can get that. 1985, man. It's the mid 80s. This is how we uh, delineate history. <laughs> this is how we roll in our in our world. Hey, man. I remember stuff that way. Aliens actually uh, is a runner up of the next year to me. A runner up to Back to the Future. Well, it's a runner up for the 1986 film, which is per- is personal. Which is to me Highlander. Oh, see, I'm not gonna. Ha- <laughs> I can't agree with you on this. You know why you? But you know why that you made that sound though? It's not because of the original, which is fun. It's because it's one of those movies that was tragically revisited over and over and over again, never successfully. Like there have been so many follow-ups, and none of them are good. Like we were at Dragon Con, and there was like a bootlegger that had a new Highlander movie that I'd never heard of. There, I was like, "There's another one." <laughs> It's not even out yet. Jeez, it's a Highlander 5. And out of curiosity, I went to Netflix to see if this was actually real, if this was out somewhere. And while they didn't have that one, there was another one. Yikes. I was like, there's another one? What is what is Highlander the search for revenge or whatever? <laughs> and it was some kind of anime kind of thing with Highlander. Now, it's not that... I didn't make that sound because of the sequels, even though the sequels have absolutely destroyed its legacy. But but I just don't think that it's as as good a movie as Aliens. And I do like Highlander, but well, this is a personal preference. I I obviously the argument can be made that Aliens is a better movie, but I don't want to exalt Alien, and I don't want to exalt Blade Runner, and I don't want to exalt Ridley Scott and James Cameron, so that every time we make a top ten list, we're only mentioning movies that they made. Obviously, Aliens is awesome. That's why I mentioned it, even though my personal preference is Highlander. But for me, when I was a kid, Highlander was Blade Runner because I liked Blade Runner, but it didn't it didn't fire my imagination like Highlander did because Highlander was, you know, obviously it was cool when you're that age. But, you know, Russell Mulcahy, the transitions that he uses in that movie visually – this is a mainstream movie that got my attention. It's got music by Queen. It's totally 80s. Yeah. That's actually, and, and I like. But when you watch it, there's a lot of awesome visual elements to the movie that made me think, you know, movies, even when they're fun, don't have to be crap. Like movies can still have like an artistic visual style to them, even if it is just about a bunch of people running around trying to cut each other's heads off. And that meant a lot to me when I was that age, you know, when I first saw Highlander. I was like, maybe movies can be important, even if even if the story's not that that big. You know, it doesn't have to be some kind of Oscar film to take pride in in its visual style. And that's where I think that the Highlander movies, besides just having retarded stories after that, none of them have met it visually. Like, none of them had that, had that combination of elements. Well, that Mulcahy was a video director before that, though, wasn't he? Yeah, so he, and it's very, that's where very it, cool. it came from, I guess, his, his MTV generation video coolness. All right, moving on to 1987, I'm going to redeem Sam Raimi and say 19, 1987 was the year of Evil Dead 2. All right. This was a really good year for genre films, so I am giving him a big position. Because you know what else came out in 1982? 
Hellraiser. Seven. Whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Evil Dead 2, 1987. And we're going to roll it back so that this list never stops. <laughs> and that's how I met your grandmother. Hellraiser is a good movie, too. Yes. But anyway, Evil Dead 2 was great because it took all the great elements of Evil Dead, put a bigger budget on it, and they and they made a movie that pretty much Evil Dead 2 is the reason that I watch horror movies to this day and go, that was crap. Because Evil Dead 2 was the movie where it was like, this is how you could fight back. This is something that too many horror movies pretend like the people in them are helpless. And then you don't identify with them. Like, Ash isn't that way at all. Ash rises as a horror hero. And not like a Freddy horror hero, like an actual protagonist. Like an actual good guy who fights the bad guys. Like, you never see that in horror movies. And he looks like he stepped right out of a Bernie Wrightson comic. I mean, and and Bruce Campbell just shines in that movie. Like, that's the movie that makes Bruce Campbell who he is today. There's some really surreal weirdness in that one, too. With the, like the it's animal, awesome in its the stuffed animal heads start moving around. And that's stuff. about to say, and they're all laughing yeah. and stuff, and <laughs> he starts laughing stuff. too. I'm not sure how that's to where you start getting like, oh, this guy's actually crazy. Like that's where <laughs> yeah. you see this is how it happens when a guy just steps up and he says, okay, let's fight zombies. This is the origin of that. What makes what puts you in the mindset where you just say it's a trick, get an axe, <laughs> and you don't care about the emotional quality of that at all. That's where it comes from. Do you have a runner-up to this? finally just decide uh, – there's lots of runners-up. 1987 was a good year. Like I said, Hellraiser. Man, I, Hellraiser is another awesome movie that was ruined in sequels. No good Hellraiser sequels. But the original was great. RoboCop came out in 1987. Another one, another one with bad sequels. Also ruined by sequels <laughs> and a bad TV show. Hellraiser didn't have a TV show, but often you know, Highlander, The Crow, RoboCop all had bad TV shows too. I don't know what it is, man, but um, Who Framed Roger? Oh, no, that was 1988. I, think, I guess uh, I just Predator. skipped straight to 1988. Predator. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't mention yeah. Predator. That's I right. That Predator. was 1987. Yeah, I was asleep there for yeah, a little while I was until you remiss. Talking about Predator. It was 1987, but it's good you're here. Predator was 1987, and we, can, we cannot forget the Predator. 1987 was an awesome year, man. There's lots of great movies that came out. So Die Hard was 87, too? 88 was Die Hard. Oh, okay. All right. And I didn't have that on my list either, but it should be there. All right, my, go ahead. My 1988 is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I think, I guess, people don't remember it as much anymore now, but it was really awesome when it came out. Yeah. It's I, odd how that movie hasn't held up because... Uh, and I think if you watch it, like, it has effects-wise and all that, like, there's things in Roger Rabbit that you still don't see. You never see people mix animation and live action where it works as well as that one did. You know, and plus the licenses that they pulled off in that movie where you actually get to see Warner Brothers characters and Disney characters in the same movie. In the same scene. You never see that. Yeah, like Daffy Duck and Donald Duck in the same scene. Mickey and Bugs. Yeah, how does that not hold up for people? I don't know what it is. Another Robert Zemeckis movie there, too. Yeah, well, I don't know if it necessarily doesn't hold up, but it just seems like nobody remembers it. Well, that's well, to me, it doesn't. It doesn't hold up in that respect. I don't mean it doesn't hold up if you uh, like, as if it doesn't hold up if you watch it. I, it, I still think it's an awesome movie, but I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about that. Maybe because it's a Disney movie that people tend to forget. The runner-up for that year, besides Die Hard, which would also be a runner-up because that's a great movie, the ultimate action movie, Die Hard. Nobody ever will top that. And uh, after that is The Naked Gun. Fun, Naked fun. Gun, I enjoy, but ruined for me now because OJ's in it, and I feel creepy watching it. That is true, 
But and that's a shame because that that's one of my favorite movies. I don't know. I can still watch it because I always assume everybody in movies are jerks. Although Everyone's you know, I don't assume they all killed their <laughs> wives. You know what I like from 1989, which this is going to be another movie that I'm not even going to say it didn't hold up because it wasn't even respecting its time. Was The Abyss? Have you seen that movie, Brooks? I have seen The Abyss. It's Isn't that I mean, I think it's important for some of the groundbreaking special effects that were I, in it. To me, that's my favorite James Cameron movie, and they hold now, up. Now, I love Aliens. Don't get me wrong. Like, but to me, The Abyss had a lot of ideas and concepts that are completely inventive, a lot more creative and interesting. And God, you got Ed Harris in there, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. You know, there's the, a lot of great people in that movie. It's a very human story. That movie, much more so than some of his other. And the movies. effects hold up pretty well. They, I think everything about it is is awesome. And then he, he... Well, I think that's one of the very early movies where computer-generated effects really play a major part of the film. Well, I think one thing they got right in it is they were supposed to represent something otherworldly. And it made it easier. Like, you know, when these things are all fluorescent coming out of the, you know, coming out of the bottom of the ocean, it's easier to use computer effects for that. Hey, uh, I want to break the rules real quick. Uh, but this reminds me of another 80s movie, actually. And, and I think uh, both of you would agree that The Last Starfighter yeah, was great. I could have put that on this list. I, I'm i not sure. I think that's 1983, if I'm remembering yeah, right. But that's the ultimate think, kid fantasy movie because he's awesome at playing a video game. And somehow that gets him recruited into some galactic Starfleet. What an fleet. awesome fantasy. I mean, Oh, yeah, it's kid. the greatest. Well, the reason I brought it up the, the the abyss made me think about it um, was that the movie was actually the first movie to use completely computer generated special effects for the space scenes if you watch that movie you can tell it's it's obvious uh, yeah but good effort how how far before it's time to try that at all I mean it's like watching a low grade video game now but I mean in 1983 to try that at all is, is really impressive I don't remember that it puts me in weird. the mind of of another movie that that also Use computer generated effects was Tron. I don't know yeah. why I didn't mention Tron on this. Now, see, this Tron, list. it works because That's it's, a it's Well, because it's supposed to be computers. And it's not but, supposed to look real, it's supposed to look surreal. And it works very it well works. for that. They also use a bunch of clever co- conventions in Tron. Like they shoot the whole movie in black and white, and then they actually went back and touched it up yeah, with fluorescence. It made it creepy. That bad guy was creepy looking in that movie. Still, to this day, I watch that and go, man, that guy gives me nightmares just thinking about it. Even though the character is not movie. scary, he just looks scary. I don't visual. know. I guess Tron wasn't groundbreaking, so I didn't mention it on this, this list to begin with. But I love Tron. I could have mentioned it. As an 80s movie, it should be remembered. Well, Tron was groundbreaking for its special effects, but story-wise, it was kind of weak. I'm kind of mad that in the world of CGI, they don't come back to Tron and try to do something. Wouldn't that be awesome now? Couldn't you do something great Tron with Tron? Tron was the Matrix of That's... its time. You know, I'm surprised they haven't. I'm surprised they haven't, too. All right. I, I can. That was 1989, so that finished that list. The only other runner-up I had was Batman, and I'm not really going to talk about Batman. Yeah, because I, I don't think, know, man. While that movie was good for the time, I think it's completely outdated now. I liked it the like, first I think, time like, I Batman saw Batman it. Begins and... knocked Batman off the charts. You know, unfortunately for Tim Burton. But if not for Tim Burton and Batman, there probably would be no Batman Begins. So, so does that. So that was our, our perfect 1080s. And you know what, guys? I think we've gone on a long time. We're going to need to split this up into two episodes, I think, which is a first for TV Ate My Dinner. So A two-parter. A two-parter. Well, everybody loves the 80s. 
I mean, we cover 80s movies. That's going to take a whole show by itself. Oh, we were, man, we, we could were, easily go on about this. Yeah, we could have gone on. Like, how many movies do we that weren't even on that list? Well, I'm personally... And you guys, did, you didn't even have lists that... Did, I'm deeply disappointed that you didn't mention Ice Pirates. Ice Pirates. <laughs> it was, I guess that was an 80s movie, wasn't it? It Hell had to yeah, be like 81 or something, right? And I'm also, actually, I am legitimately... Um, upset that you didn't mention Princess Bride. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, you know why? It's oh, nothing cause... against the Princess Bride. That's an awesome movie, but it's almost like Aliens. Like you get tired, you make a list. You don't want to just exalt the movies that everyone already knows are awesome. You want to, you know, you want to blow the dust off. Like to me, like saying DC Cab is more valuable because that's going to open people's eyes. But at the outset, you said the best of of what they were trying to be, and I think Princess Bride is the best storybook movie. Well, I can't think of and any I others. think they'll never be better. Like I just recently saw Stardust in the theater, and I thought that 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 mirrored that sort of that sort of concept, and I thought it did it really well. But it's not, you know, nothing's the Princess Bride. And there in was fact, some... that was the first movie since the Princess Bride I can think of that probably did follow in that same genre. There were some trends that that you didn't mention, like uh, that that got started in the eighties. Like for example, the dancing movies. Breaking being my personal we'll favorite. Breaking two electric. Boogaloo. The break dance. Electric, yeah. Boogaloo. electric Boogaloo, the most famous movie title of a movie that no one's ever seen. The greatest sequel. Yeah, who's seen Breaking Two? Nobody. I know one guy. One time, one of my favorite people in the world actually owned Breaking and Breaking Two on DVD. <laughs> I have like, Breaking. Well, I don't have Breaking Two. I should. I should track that down. You got electric to. boogaloo. You've got to finish out the set, man. How are you going to know how it ends? And there's so many classics like Jim Cotta. We didn't mention that. Jim yeah, we didn't mention the ninja phase at all. I wasn't trying. I didn't mention a lot of the '80s trends. That's a whole different I thing. Know. Like we can do a perfect ten of '80s trends. Let's like do the that. ninja phase being one of them. Let's do that. Well, it's fairly because... obvious that there's a lot more that we could talk about uh, because the '80s were a really wonderful decade. Oh Lord. It was a, a wonderful drove. decade. I mean, it's, it's it was like, awesome. You know, the big hair and the yeah. And the, it was like ten know. whole years. The most, the most totally rad decade. Ever. I know. It seemed, it seemed like it went on forever, like or, or at least ten years. <laughs> okay, part two. Part two is coming up. But if for you guys, but, stay tuned. But stay That'll tuned, be and we'll uh, do part part two of our our eighties retrospective. And that's Greg's television perfect ten. So that's going to be awesome. Thanks for listening. Uh, check out tv8mydinner.com for more episodes and further information about us. You can also find us on MySpace, which is uh, myspace.com slash tv8mydinner. You can uh, go to darkcrazy.com and you'll find lots of Perfect Ten lists there, including this one that we did today. And uh, that's Sean's publishing site, darkcrazy.com. Check that out. We're kind of a subsidiary of Dark Crazy. That's how I see it. One of we its all many, fall under the many, dark, crazy umbrella. Dark, yeah, there you go. The all-encompassing the corporate conglomerate umbrella. that is the dark, crazy. <laughs> the multinational conglomerate. And uh, all right, we'll we'll see us very soon with episode two of this part two. My name is Brooks. I'm Sean. I'm Greg. That's Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you then. Awesome. We'll see you then. And the model spaceships, which I really miss. I love my model spaceships. Especially the Sequest. The Sequest wasn't a spaceship, it was a submarine. DogCreasers.com That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. <laughs>